Hello everybody, welcome to Equals, I'm Max. Hi everyone, this is Nadia. Nadia, welcome to Equals, this is your first episode. Yay, so excited to be here. It's really great to have you. So before we start, Nadia, we really need to hear a bit about you. Why don't you tell me, tell me what your, your passion is in the fight against inequality. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Muscat, Oman, and moved to Toronto in 2000. And of course, while I was a student there, the Iraq war broke out. And it was really a, an important time for for activism and for student movements and for movements all over the world um, that were saying no to the war. And through that activism, I came across and, and developed some really long-term relationships and friendships with activists working on anti-poverty, on migrant rights, on indigenous land rights, on Palestine solidarity work. Um, and really what connected all of those struggles together was the pure injustice of it all and the imbalance of power. Um, and I see inequality as the framework that really links all of these things. And that's why I'm so excited about this podcast, um, is the opportunity to talk about inequality from all these different angles. I've got to say, you, you make the Canada you talk about sounds really exciting. and I It had, is exciting. I had to say, I found it a bit boring when I went there. It could just be you. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe it's my issue. Maybe it's not Canada's issue. But <laughs> You say that, but you, you haven't been in Canada for at least a decade, have you? You've been here in Washington. It's true. I came for a three-month internship in 2008 and find myself still here over 10 years later. And why do you think that is? Why are you still in, in the land of Trump? Oh, the land of Trump. Um, well, I mean, you know, it's hard to leave a place that has so much influence and power in this world, and and you you want to turn that power and influence into something good. I can see that. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, and it's not just the U.S. as a government, right? It's also the headquarters of institutions like the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, which... I am obsessed with, as you know, and have been for a long time. <laughs> you are, but uh, you know, understandably, they're, they're pretty important. They are. They're hugely influential on on so much of what is happening around the world, um, and especially on inequality issues and on the policies that, that drive inequality or can reduce inequality. And I think we're going to hear a lot about that today. Yeah, we are. In fact, today we're going to hear an interview between Winnie and the president of Namibia, and Namibia is a country in southern Africa. It's one of the most unequal countries in the world. But what makes them interesting is that over the last 10 years, they've really managed to reduce that gap between rich and poor with a series of really practical, sensible things. Um, and that's what we're going to hear about now. Let's do it. us this opportunity. We come to you because we see you as a leader who's been through a life in a struggle for the liberation of our people, the people of Namibia, struggling for justice, struggling against racism and colonialism. So we are honored and we are coming to you to discuss, to hear from you, your own experience of fighting injustice, fighting for an equal society. Excellency, before I even dive into the questions, I just wanted to let you know we've issued this report here, this meeting, which we call a tale of two continents fighting inequality in Africa. 
we were looking at African countries and seeing to what extent is Africa progressing with all its people. But the picture we find is not encouraging. We find that, for example, we have one statistic I'd like to cite to you, that three billionaires, the richest men in Africa, own more wealth than the bottom half of Africa, 650 million people. Just three billionaires. And our issue with that is not just, it's not because we don't want people to be rich, mm -hmm. but this kind of extreme inequality traps millions in poverty. You can't, you can't ever eradicate poverty with that level of inequality. We see extreme poverty rising in Africa, in other continents are continuing. But here it is rising. So, we come to you because, Your Excellency, you have declared and I read it somewhere, a war on poverty and inequality. You make that read. Could you share with us why you have made that connection? Why tackling inequality is important to you and to your government? Well, thank you very much. Uh, great honor to be interviewed by you. And congratulations, officially, for a new appointment. When Namibia got independence, we were oppressed by apartheid. Apartheid already says we are separate, treated based on color. So obviously, most of the blacks were left out from everything. That's a war we're fighting. So obviously, after independence, we are, of course, having forces. Uh, we are trying to safeguard the interests of the minorities. Even our independence, in which the Western five countries got involved, was to safeguard the interests of the whites. Because they thought when Angola and Mozambique got independent, communism was taking over. So they thought they must mitigate, they must involve and see that the interests of the whites will be safeguarded after, even after independence. So involvement, therefore, focused on property rights. They didn't talk about land, but they put land in property in our case. Mm -hmm. So therefore, already instilling after independence that that inequality will continue. So when we took over, we have to, of course, create one nation. Not only was apartheid dividing white and black, it was within the blacks too. There were bundle stems where people will say, you are, you cannot live together with your brother, you are a different nation. So go and have your Orambo nation, go and have your Damara nation, but you can never live together. We have been told by young white people. There are ways to reduce inequality, and Oxfam has been trying to see what are those policies that actually reduce inequality, and who on the continent is making some progress mm -hmm. by pushing those policies. We find that there are three important ways, and we have them in this report. Social spending is one of them. Giving people, all people, access to good quality health, education, social protection, that's one very important equalizer. A second one is taxing progressively, moving the taxation regime so that 
the most wealthy the big companies pay more tax than relatively than poor people and the third one is labor rights when you guarantee a minimum wage when you guarantee the rights of workers then they claim more of the part the share of production and then that lifts more people out of poverty those three areas we've put them in one measure we have an index we call it the commitment fighting equality we've ranked all the countries in the world we've seen impressive results for namibia by the way maybe you could share with us with our listeners the lessons that we can learn from namibia on policies to reduce inequality i would say effective governance mm-hmm. where you will be inclusive in the governance it's a inclusivity spells harmony inclusivity spells conflict everywhere in africa if you exclude class or people there will be conflict mm-hmm. so what i did given the big gap between blacks and white people and cash transfers are condemned mm-hmm. it makes people lazy mm-hmm. but if people are starving what do you do So I first took a kind of now blind for the revolutionary movement leader concept by declaring to increase the pension mm-hmm. by 60% mm-hmm. from $600,000 to $1,200. That did a big difference. Because these days in Africa, young people deliver and dump these kids, mm-hmm. older people. From that meager income, what has happened in reducing poverty is unbelievable that old people were using that in their descendants they had children children to school in this time but that's not enough uh, it's not just a question of one often the amali there ways are doing it mm. we brought in a food bank concept which again was condemned but if people are starving we say it's not it's a multifaceted approach we are taking this step to address immediate needs I have walked around Katutura, I have in towns, so people lying there without saying, eating anything. Mm-hmm. So we are taking this step again. It's our fourth year that food bank is demanded everywhere. Mm-hmm. But that's not a solution. We have to get, teach people to fish, mm-hmm. not just to give them the fish to water. It's true. Mm-hmm. We're addressing immediate need and it did a job. Social protection, you're so right, is a great leveler. When you give support to old people, to single mothers, to elderly, to children. That support really is like money in the pocket for poor families, which they put back in the economy, which makes the economy turn, which then lifts all boats. We saw that for Latin America, it's a dynamical mm-hmm. region, but countries like Brazil, countries that pushed social protection, pushed money into poor people's pockets, saw inequality reductions. So here in Africa, there has been some thinking for a long time that we are too poor to afford social protection. But actually, more and more countries are putting it there, the pension for old people, and they are finding the results are good. Results are good. Yeah, the results are there. The other question, the other area we see in your country that is so positive is your policy on secondary school education. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, for me, a big lesson for the rest of Africa. 
we have more children out of classrooms at secondary school level than in the classroom. You've done it. Mm. What are your next challenges now? It's a problem, you know. We talk about access, emphasize access, mm. but not quality. quality. So while we have access, quality is suffering. Mm. Another problem we're facing, but it's better to have access. But education is the greatest equalizer. Mm. We have to educate, we have to train people, and we want to focus now on vocational training. This is a big battle here on the continent, as you know. Again, I, I think you offer an important example. Because here, now the thinking that has been pushed hard in, in our continent is that governments can't afford. We must bring in the private sector. And so multinationals are taking over education systems in Africa, giving low-quality education, but which is paid for by poor people. We see it as a dead-end road, a dead-end road for our children. We think quality, publicly provided education is possible. By the way, this thing of civil helping you, we had a good American program. Maybe I'm telling you, I found out someone. You are qualified for America, waive that qualification. Mm -hmm. Now, while it's excellent program, money was never coming to us. Mm -hmm. Control from America, they were paying the things. <laughs> so even if you are hearing 300 million US dollars, maybe 80% goes back to America because of experts. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I wanted now to um, move to another point I, I so like to talk about. This is the issue of women's rights and equality of men and women in society. I, I have uh, a good friend in one of your leaders here. We've been together in the women's movement. She's my senior, the Honorable Netumbo Daito. Uh oh. Yes, she's been our leader in the women's movement here in Africa. We follow what happens here. We think that you are, you are committing this this year in your country. We've seen the women rise, political representation, in schooling, in education, catching up with boys, girls catching up with boys. I want you to tell us something about your, your what motivates you there, what challenges you face today, making it an equal world between men and women in your society. Now let me be honest, it's not uh, my mantra. Mm. It was started by my predecessor, mm -hmm. the two presidents, Delatif, whereby when we were fighting, we were equal. Women had guns. Mm -hmm. When we come back now, I think they cannot do anything whereas they were fighting. So they had that belief too. So mm. uh, we eventually said, how do we do it? After studying, we said, okay, at party structures, we will control. Mm. It must be 50-50. Mm -hmm. So we are going now, two days from now, to what we call port. That's uh, people are going to come to Trapos to now nominate people going to the parliament. We call it port, we have to ban and come out of it. So we say 50-50. Well, there are some drawbacks, but it is it brought up a change. In our parliament, we're only having about 22-something. After that, it's about 47. And now I have a challenge, uh, Rwanda and South Africa. <laughs> now everybody's looking at what I was hosting before. Now I have to, it must be 80 50 or so. And then the cabinet also has to be 50-50. So it's, it was a big group of policies mm. and laws. Mm. 
two or hundred cents on their own work, which cost them cents. But to do these two dogmas is not doing them a favor. It's a maturity of people that we are empowering. Do you see a, more, a time coming soon when the media will have an elected woman president? Anytime. Yes, yes. Okay. The line is now. They have, a, they have a joke that I'm the last of the Americans. So it's true, the standard group is I'm the last one. <laughs> so the young people are going to come, women are well placed. So as you mentioned, the Prime Minister is a woman, every Prime Minister is a vice president of the party. So those are already in key positions. I, I wanted to ask you a question about these policies that reduce inequality, whether in education, whether in politics like women's representation, free quotas, require a political consensus. You can't move them unless you're able to convince the leadership that this is the way to go. Tell us a bit about how you achieved. How you, you, I know you said it's a history of struggle that makes the people believe in the equality of people across race, across gender. But do you do you find some challenge there in getting agreement on policies like those, like rolling out social protection, education? How, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with getting a consensus? Well, I'm talking about building Namibian house. Mm -hmm in which all Namibian children must come together. Strong foundation, like our constitution, we build the house, like the foundation strong one. But I say bricks that we are using are our tribes and races. Mm -hmm. After you are finished, you have to fast track it. When that wall is there, you paint it, dust and paint, you have erased all ethnic racial references. Mm -hmm. It's now one Namibian wall. You must hold hands and live in that house, the Namibian children. There will be problems in any family. Dialogue is the answer. I went to 14 regions, just about in circle, 14 regions all over the, as I declared this as a year of accountability. Mm -hmm. To account, we were there 2015 when I took over. Promises were made, now I took over. 14 regions sitting there listening and being questioned for seven hours. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, accountability. I say, uh, transparency plus accountability equals trust. Now, trust in African leaders or other leaders is a big problem because we are not transparent and accountable. So when you go and sit there and listen, people think they have to chase out. And I was following two ladies behind, they didn't see me and say, I told you. <laughs> so that feeling that they told the president. Mm. I said, oh, Mama, it's true, it's true, but it's all right. Oh. <laughs> so, accountability, transparency, accountability spells. Mm -hmm. We have to be accountable. But besides that, building the house, and the house, holding hands, I heard what's called Harambe, mm -hmm. what's called a plan. Now, that plan is again talking about unity. Mm -hmm. Consensus you cannot get always, but if you can yourself mm -hmm. be across tribal okay. connections, I tried to be an Indian. Mm. And lucky enough, I have a history where I was brought up, we are always living as one group. Mm. So I don't believe in those things of tribe, but still, it's a problem. We leaders, we, instead of building consensus, we divide.
Yeah. Yes, we, we had a problem. Yeah. People are innocent. Mm -hmm. Children specialize. I, I so my last question, Excellency. In this struggle for a just and an equal Namibia, what gives you hope? Youth. We start with youth, yeah. women too. Because all of us, maybe I should exclude myself, but definitely you have a country that you are saying, let's hold hands. Mm. And you must give by example, hold hands. Of course, people disagree. But political parties are strong. Mm. We are still a liberation movement. We are still intact. Mm. And also to empower, we groom the youth, mm -hmm. uh, like the ladies who are talking about. They were young people, and I met them in 74. Young little kids. Mm. But today he's the vice president of the party. Mm. He's a deputy prime minister. The other young lady was a young, young girl in Sierra Leone, mm. high school there. Today she's a prime minister. So, and key positions, education, so on, are held by women. All four are women in higher education, lower education. Mm -hmm. Their mothers, they know, they teach us at home. Therefore, they also know how to teach us when we are grown up. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, future is for the young people, future is to be inclusive. Inclusivity spells harmony. Mm. That's the key. Mm. If you are going to leave out women, you are excluding mm. a chunk of the majority of the people. And you are therefore denying the channel talents that are there to be utilized. So exclus exclusivity, tribalism, racism are the evils mm. to fight against. Tribalism, regionalism. So you have you are hopeful because of young people. You are hopeful because Everyone's engaged. It's inclusive governance, inclusive yes. development. I think those are positive things, but one can hold on to those. I too am hopeful because these young Africans are so smart. Oh, yeah. yeah. I find that. Uh, well, that's the revolution. Some of us are out. We've been waiting for you guys to come in now. Yeah. Robots. <laughs> Their work as we knew it is not going to be the same any anymore. No, robots don't strike mm. after overtime. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Your Excellency. Okay. We wish you well, wish your country well. Thank you very much. And, and good luck. so much to learn from you. Now, new work, good luck. We work there too together. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you, Excellency. Okay. interesting. I mean, he's such a humble guy and, and clearly a man of resolve. And you think what he's been through, I mean, fighting for freedom, fighting for against apartheid. Right. And I mean, um, Namibia was a colony of South Africa and just gained independence in 1990. That's really not that long ago. Really not that long ago and inherited a huge poisonous system of apartheid and racism and massive inequality. So the fact that they've been really working hard to reduce inequality ever since, I think is really impressive. Yeah, I was fascinated by some of the, the policies that he was talking about. Um, and I know that they've taxing, been taxing the rich more, using those revenues to fund free secondary education, which makes such a big difference. Yeah, it's a big, big, big difference. And also they have a universal pension, which is uh, has a huge impact on the elderly and has kind of knock-on impacts on inequality. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reason we found out about Namibia in the first place was because we'd been uh, putting together as Oxfam with one of our allies, Development Finance International, this index 
which we call the Commitment to Reducing Inequality Index, which measures 150 countries worldwide and looks about, basically measures how serious they are about reducing the gap between rich and poor. So you're not looking at how unequal the country is then, but looking at the policies that the government has in place that you think can help reduce inequality. Exactly, and, and, and the direction of travel. So Namibia is a great example. They're very, very unequal still, but they're a lot less unequal than they were 10 years ago. So they're going in the right direction with the right policies. What are some of the other countries that that stick out to you? I think one of the outstanding countries is Ethiopia. So our index shows that they have some of the highest spending on education in the world. And in the last 10 years, they've got an extra 15 million kids into school, most of them girls, which Amazing. is a huge achievement. And then what we also showed is you just look at the the real poverty of the country. So a good comparator is that Ethiopia has the same income per person today as Canada, you know, your favourite country, had in 1840. So the same as Canada in 1840. Wow. And wow. I mean, I'm, I don't know much about Canada, but I imagine in 1840 they didn't get every child into school. No, it is a, it was a very different time then, I'm sure. So I think what the index draws out is the ambition of some of the poorest countries today to do such huge things to reduce inequality and poverty, which is just so impressive. Yeah, and I mean, just thinking about a range of countries, I remember coming across a story about Iceland where they, they actually made it illegal to pay women less than men. Um, and that kind of bold move is just so important when you think about the connection between gender inequality and economic inequality. Yes, definitely. We really tried to look at that in the index, particularly in the area of work and wages. So we look at whether or not countries have proper legislation for parental leave or against sexual harassment in the workplace. Uh, because we, we really think that the, the countries that fight against the gap between rich and poor and do it that well are the same countries that manage to close the gap between women and men. Right. So, so it all sounds pretty straightforward, these policies that you're, you're looking at in the index. So what's the kicker? Well, I mean, really there isn't one. I mean, the thing is, people think inequality is somehow inevitable, that it's like the weather, there's nothing you can do about it, we've always had rich, we've always had poor, but it's not, it really isn't, it's, it's not inevitable, it's a political choice, and when the right choices are made, you can close that gap. So it's political will. Definitely, definitely political will, and it can make a huge difference, and it puts, puts the other countries that are doing nothing to shame when you see countries like Namibia that are making such a big difference. Right, so we heard from a government today that's making a difference, and next week we'll be hearing from an in individual that's making a difference. Yes, a very rich individual, just in case anyone is uh, thinking that we're in some way anti-rich on this program. <laughs> right, so we'll be hearing from a millionaires, um, from a family that you all know well and probably even grew up with. And um, she's done a lot and been a very vocal person on the fight against inequality. Yeah, it should be a good one. Right, looking forward to it. So until then, if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with us at equals at oxfam.org. Thanks, everyone.